You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. It is my honor uh, to introduce my friend, Brandon Peterson, and Brandon's going to join us and share God's word today. Brandon is from Vermilion, South Dakota. He's living there with his wife and now six children, and by the time he preaches again, that might be an additional one, two, three, who knows? This guy has lots of kids, great family, Um, but he is an elder at Grace Baptist Church with Steve Ford. They're a partner church of ours down in Vermilion, and he is the founder of Equip Campus Ministries, and what that means is that this man basically spends every single day of his life witnessing, proclaiming, explaining, and defending the gospel of Jesus to college students around campuses. And one of those guys was me during my college career. And this man that's about to speak God's word had a profound impact on my life, and he has a profound impact on many people in our church and around the state and around the region. And so I want to invite him up to the stage to preach with us. Um, And yeah, I can't speak enough of this guy. He's been my friend now for eight years and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray, and then I'll do maybe a little bit more uh, introduction and sort of jump into uh, what God has for us. Uh, Father God, I thank you uh, for this day, for your grace, for the privilege, Lord, to speak your truth to this church body. And, and Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words and that they would be befitting of your infinite worth and value, that they would underscore your grace, your love, your might. Uh, And Father, I pray also, God, that the words that come out of my mouth would be useful for building up this church in in love, building up their faith, uh, building up their joy in in you, Father. Um, God, today specifically, uh, we're going to be talking about what we do with our anxieties, our fears, our concerns, our insecurities, our stresses. Um, where should we bring those? How should we bring those to you? Um, and so God, just in all of that, and especially in this year where some big things are happening, uh, Father, I just pray, God, that you would guide us in a fruitful direction, um, and we count on you to do this, Lord, because only you can. Amen. Well, like Andy said, um, I've been a, a pastor for about 10 years. Uh, mainly, I work with college students, and then I also do counseling and premarital counseling and, and things like that within the church. Um, and one thing that I've seen is very, very common among people is something that we call anxiety. Now, anxiety, when it's used by uh, mental health professionals, it typically means something very, very definite. Uh, which is usually the physical aspect uh, of anxiety. They, they separate worry and anxiety. Worry is your thoughts. Anxieties are some of your bodily feelings uh, and experiences that you go through uh, when you experience worry. Now, today, that, that is not the definition of anxiety that I'm going to use. I'm going to use it in a very all-encompassing way, So that it means everything. It means stress. It means worry. It means fear. Uh, It means all of those different kinds of things. Now, as we start, uh, I want to ask you a a question. Is it possible to be thankful for the year 2020? 
Uh, it, you know, it's become very, very common this year, every time I get on Facebook, uh, to see memes and statements uh, about uh, how frustrating and how depressing and how stressful and terrible 2020 is. But is that the whole story? Is it possible to be thankful for 2020? I think so. Uh, but when we say that, we might be thankful for it in, in a way that is not typical, in, in a way that maybe we uh, weren't thankful before, right? So being thankful in 2020, we're thankful for maybe different things, some of the similar things, but maybe different things than, you know, 2018, 2017, 2016. Um, so what, what do I think, at least, that as Christians, what are, what are some of the things I think we can be very thankful for? Well, on a year like this, a couple things happen, right? Uh, some things are revealed, some things are taught, okay? So we are brought into sort of a unique, stressful, strange world with pandemics that take over the globe. We're in an election cycle, which is uh, typically not very fun, but then this year it's been extremely not, not very fun. And at moments like this, especially when they affect everyone, what it does is it exposes us, right? What comes out of us is what was in us, right? So when fear and anxiety and stress are the norm for you during a pandemic, that is in you. When anger, vicious anger, comes out of you during an election cycle, that's what's in you. So one of the reasons we can be thankful is not for the bad, but the fact that right now our hearts are being laid bare. And when your heart is laid bare, uh, there's something you can do about what's inside. You can take these things to God and be healed and grow uh, stronger um, and more faithful. So I'm very thankful uh, for that. And I'm also very thankful that uh, 2020 proves that human beings are not in control, <laughs> right? Out of nowhere, I mean, no one would guess that, that what has happened would have happened, you know, a year ago or two years ago. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a novel virus comes out and completely shuts down the world. Like, literally, shuts down the world. And so, hopefully, we learn the lesson this time. I mean, I, I feel like we have to repeat lessons so often in life, don't we? But hopefully, we learn, like... I'm not in control. Now, that brings us to anxiety. <laughs> okay, one, there's a couple of things that are, are pretty common within uh, situations that, that bring anxiety, bring stress, bring fear. Uh, one is lack of control, and, and the other is, is a measure of uncertainty. And so we've been faced uh, with a lot of that, but here's the thing. Uh, when you think of anxiety in reference to 2020, you may think of pandemics and elections or Facebook, or riots, or many other things, but I want to rewind the tape a few years so that we don't just think of the big things that are really affecting us right now, but we also think about the daily things that we always stressed about, that were always fears for us, so that we can also bring those out and lay those bare before the Lord, repent and grow. So what is anxiety to you, personally? What is it to you. Um, is anxiety the, the sinking feeling you get in your gut when you see your bank balance? 
Is it the late night worry uh, for your teenage child? Is it about the future, right? Do you wonder, will I graduate? Will I get that job? Will I retire? Is, is it about the past, right? Those mistakes, those sins that you cannot forget. Perhaps it's more simple. Perhaps anxiety is, is just the way you wake up in the morning, right? I have a lot to do. I have a lot to get done. I better get going or everything is going to fall apart. A lot of us are in that boat. Uh, that would be me. Some of you may think anxiety is a positive personality trait. It's what energizes you. It helps you do things. It helps you serve and care for people. Um, anxiety doesn't always mean the same thing. It's not always experienced in the same way. And so uh, we need to dig into it more deeply today than maybe we have before. Now, again, as I said earlier, there's two giant causes that are, are pretty normal around things that are stressful and anxious and fear-causing for us, uh, which would be a lack of control and uncertainty. Lacking control is scary. It means that by human power, you might not get or be able to keep the things that you value most in life. Uncertainty similarly shows us that we have no guarantees. What we value may not come, and if it does, it may not stay. Decisions often feel stressful because they're about the future, and, and the future, as we know very well now, is not ultimately predictable. It's not ultimately something you can control. Sometimes you have a hypothesis, and you think something's going to happen, um, but even when it does, uh, you didn't know for sure if it would. In 1 Peter 5, we will find great answers to our stress, anxiety, fear problems. But before we turn to that, I want to help you see uh, ways in which you might be anxious. I want to share with you several behaviors that anxious people do. If you ask for an excessive amount of advice, double, triple check all your emails before you send them, often second guess your decisions, excessively check your weight, your grades, or the number of likes you've received on Facebook, you may be anxious. If you excessively seek information to increase certainty about buying the right shoes or applying for the right job, if you make excessive to-do lists so you will not forget anything, if you have to do everything yourself, or have to do everything for others, if you're overprotective, or if you are often bitter, frustrated, and angry with others because of how their contributions at work or home are not helpful enough, you might have an anxiety problem. If you use your own power and tactics to control the outcome of unpredictable and stressful situations, you are probably anxious, and your coping mechanism is control. If control is your coping mechanism, you are more likely to notice your anxiety because it's the daily bread that fuels your activities. Now, you'll also be more likely to justify your stress and anxiety by calling it proper or realistic or rational or helpful or loving. Um, some of the most anxious people I know uh, have a problem where they confuse worry and love. 
And so they believe that they're extremely loving because they worry a lot. But on the other side, they see people who maybe don't worry as much, and they confuse that as lack of care. Now, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one side to every story. Uh, so here's the other side of the range. Uh, some of you are controllers. Uh, other, uh, others work the opposite direction. So uh, let me describe, maybe this is you instead. If you avoid difficult things, often procrastinate, can't stand silence, boredom, or serious conversations, if you are never fully committed to anything, if no one really knows you because you lie or you hide your true self, if you make decisions randomly, if you watch an excessive amount of TV play, an excessive amount of video games, get drunk or smoke pot, or are on social media all the time, you're probably anxious and your coping mechanism is escape. If escapism is your coping mechanism, you are less likely to notice because your anxiety likely comes in short and intense spurts, and then it's buried once again under a mountain of self-denial and a bunch of entertaining things. Now, probably most of you are like me and you're a little bit of both. Okay, so my natural tendency is to be a controller. When things go wrong, I pull up my bootstraps and I go to work and I, I do all these hypothetical thinking like, well, we could fix it this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. Uh, it's especially terrible when that happens at night because I, I can't sleep because I'm too busy in my head trying to fix something that in the moment I have no capability to actually do anything about. So it just is a waste of time. But when that doesn't work, Right? When I find that my efforts do not fix the problem or the problem is just one of those ongoing types of problems that it's not a one time and it's fixed, but it's something that you just have to deal with over and over and over, I might reflex the other direction and go click. <laughs> all right, Netflix bench, let's go. Uh, please help me forget all of the things that stress me out today. So I, I would guess... That, that few of you are very heavily one way or the other. Some of you will be. Um, I would guess that, that most of you bounce between control uh, as a coping mechanism for anxiety and stress and escape as a controlling, uh, as a mechanism, sorry, for uh, dealing with your anxiety. So, uh, after hearing these descriptions, how are you doing? How are you doing? Um, do your behaviors seem to reveal a pattern of anxiety? Well, of course, the answer is, is yes. Uh, everybody struggles with these things. Everybody deals with these things. Um, but to how much, uh, that varies among you. All right, so turn to uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Uh, and as you do that, uh, I have two more things to sort of preface this with. Uh, first is the goal of this message is not to help you become an anxiety-free person, but a person who trusts God with their anxiety. Okay, anxiety is, is not going away, and if your goal right now is to somehow develop uh, a, a character or a process or a method or a life that has no anxiety or stress or fear, in it, um, you're going to be very disappointed, and you're going to expend a, a mad amount of energy trying to accomplish something that is just straight up impossible, okay? So that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach you how to take your anxiety to God. 
Uh, being fear-free in this world is a foolish goal, and we don't need to be fear-free to be Christians. Right? Jesus himself sweated drops of blood and said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. I'm not looking forward to tomorrow, but I'm looking past it to something better, so I will endure it for your name's sake and the good of my brothers and sisters. That's our goal. Right? Our goal is to be christ like Our goal is to be able to take the things that are going on in our life and use them faithfully for the glory of the Lord and love of brother and sister and say, not my will, but yours, Lord. How do you want to, to use this? Uh, second thing, not all anxiety is sinful. Uh, and, and I've noticed a lot of Christians think that, uh, but, but that's, not, that's not true. Uh, most of it is, <laughs> most of it is, uh, but, but not, not all. Uh, if your anxiety is caused by idols, okay, that, that's sinful. Uh, but not all anxiety is caused by idolatry or doubting God. For instance, if you're diagnosed with cancer, you should feel a, a level of fear and stress about that. Now, here's the thing, though. Even proper fear, even proper anxiety can become sinful in what you do with it and in, in the way that you deal with it. So hear that. I'm not telling you that all of your anxiety is sinful, uh, but much of it is. And most of your anxiety, fear, stress that is not sinful in and of itself becomes so when you react wrongly. So, okay, with that said, uh, let's read 1 Peter 5, and I'll share three big steps you can take toward God and away from sinful anxiety. And that's just the gospel all the time as we want to move towards God, His grace, His goodness to us, and away from our sinful tendencies because he lets us come near and he draws us near and he loves when we step near. So, all right, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 commands us, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. These verses tell us that one reason we deal with anxiety wrongly is because we're prideful. Okay, we don't want to admit that we need God or others. We just want to pull up our bootstraps and deal with it. Therefore, when anxiety produces pressure, we inevitably sin because if we don't go to God, we go somewhere. We go somewhere else. So just think for yourself, where do you go for relief when you don't go to God? Do you eat? Do you yell? Do you work harder? Do you sleep less or more? Do you drink? Do you cut yourself? You, you do something. We all do something to find relief. And the reason we turn to the wrong things is because we're not turning to the right person. We're not turning to God. So step one for dealing with anxiety is humbly submit your fear to God. The first step is not asking if the fear is valid. And it's not asking if it's sinful. Okay, you can think about that later. Uh, but that's not, that's not worth your time. You need to take these things, whether they're rational or not, whether they're real or not. God wants you to bring all of your anxieties to him. He is ready and he is waiting, so be humble. Hand them, hand them over to him. Now, some of you are thinking, potentially, um, I'm not prideful. 
in my anxiety. I'm not prideful in my stress. I am self-loathing. Okay, well, here's the litmus test uh, for whether or not you're humble in anxiety. Have you done 1 Peter verse 7? Have you continually casted your anxieties onto God through prayer? Okay, if, if not, our, our text says it's because you, you haven't humbled yourself. You haven't submitted to God. And the, and the moment you fail to submit to God, regardless of your self-disgust, you may be saying with your lack of action that your way of dealing with stress is better than his. Or maybe, more simply, you're just saying like, God can't help me with this, right? His ways will not take care of the problem. His ways will not bring relief. Therefore, I need to get that for myself using my methods. My methods of relief are better than God's. And you might not be thinking that while you're uh, living it out, but what you live out speaks a lot more about what you believe than what you say. So again, humble yourself. Cast your anxieties on God. Now, uh, as a bit of an aside, I just want to share a little bit about what sin is for a second, because that's kind of dovetailing with our our conversation here about anxiety. Uh, Think of sin like an iceberg. Okay, Only the top 10% is visible. We call that the tip of the iceberg. And that's the part that everyone sees, right? Whether you're a believer or not, Uh, Everybody sees they experience the 10% on the surface. However, that percentage, that 10%, is not usually thought of as sin by most people. Rather, that 10% are the feelings and the consequences we experience because of sin. So the tip of the iceberg of sin is the pain it causes, even ourselves. It's the crippling fear we feel. It's the harm that is done to us. It's the coping mechanisms that make us feel just a little bit better. But underneath that is is the 90%, which is the part that sinks ships. The part you don't see as easily or may not even see at all. The majority of the iceberg is unbelief and rebellion. So a big reason you or others react badly to conversations about sin is because you and they are blind to the part of sin that the Bible most often describes, the rebellion part. You don't see that part. The only part you see is the part you feel, which is the pain part. A lot of people hate the biblical teaching of sin because they experience their sin as the pain they feel rather than the rebellion they do. And because they choose to see themselves as victims rather than sinners, when we talk about rebellion against God, it just doesn't make sense. They might say, I'm not rebelling against God. I'm just in pain. Okay, and, and what you're saying is, is making me feel worse. I don't, I don't need this. I don't want to hear this. Okay, so now here's the thing. If that's you, first I just want to say I get it. I, I, get, I get that. I've justified my sin that way as well. Um, 
So again, if we're able to go to God, if we know he's there and that he's a God of grace, we can go to him with sin. If we don't think we can do that, then we have to have a different tactic for getting rid of things like guilt and shame and regret, right? And again, one of the best ways we can deal with that is just avoiding it. So this is one thing I want to encourage you with is, is if you feel that the Christian doctrine of sin is just about making you feel guilty so that you wouldn't do bad things, you have no idea what the doctrine of sin teaches. Okay, the doctrine of sin is like when you go to the hospital to get a diagnosis for something that's plaguing you and making your life terrible. And you, may, you, you might not be happy to find out what the diagnosis is. You, you might, in fact, be shattered for a little while. But almost everybody, even when the diagnosis is really bad, almost everybody feels a great level of comfort because now there's something we can do about the problem. It's actually possible to feel joy when, when you see your sin exposed if you understand that what God is doing is taking it away and out. Okay, th th this idea that God wants to guilt trip his children is more built on the fact that we have a media that likes to show Christians in a particular kind of light and perhaps have parents or siblings or somebody meaningful in our life that has used this this way, but that doesn't come from God. God doesn't do things that way. He wants our health, our benefit. So listen to this. If, if you're bucking against any of these conversations, anything we're talking about sin right now, if, if you're leaning, if, if this is drawing out bitterness or, or just, I don't want to hear, listen to this. Okay, think about this. What if most of the pain you feel, most of the fear you have, most of the self-hatred you experience is just the tip of the iceberg of your sin? Then don't you want to repent of it? All right, let me say that one more time. What if, okay, just... Is it a possibility that most of the pain you feel, the fear you have, and the self-hatred you experience, is it possible that that could just be the tip of the iceberg of your sin? Then don't you want to repent of your sin and get rid of all of that stuff? Of course you do. So what that means is that to get the pain and the self-hatred out of your life, you need to admit that your feelings may just be the tip of the iceberg of what you're doing and what you're trusting in. You can't just repent of the tip. You need to repent of the rebellion and the unbelief that lifts the tip out of the water. Okay, so the first step of battling your fears and many of your other problems is repenting and turning to God in faith and trusting him, humbling yourselves, admitting things about yourselves that maybe are difficult to admit. In fact, they take humility and going to God for the help that you need. And in so doing, the 90% of the iceberg will be destroyed and that 10% just will not loom so large anymore. All right, next, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All right, so step two for overcoming anxiety. Resist the devil by submitting to God in faith. 
It is important to fight sinful anxiety because apex predators eat disoriented prey. Wrong reactions to stress and anxiety and fear make you drunk-minded, and when disoriented, Satan will come for you. He's on the prowl. He's waiting for this to happen to your faith so he can eat it. Okay, think for a second. Have you ever doubted God because of fear? Because of stress? Yes. So be ready to resist Satan. If you don't, he will drive you from the only one who can grant true peace. And be aware of Satan's tactics. Satan's main tactic has always been the same. He is a liar who bends the truth just enough. Just enough. So if you make a, a, a one-degree shift, right, that's in, imperceptible. You can't see that. You can't notice that. But if you're on a, a, a lifelong journey and you diverge by 1% as you walk for 60 years, right, you're going to be miles from your destination when you get there. Uh, Satan's lies are not typically obvious. Uh, verse 9 through 11 continue this theme of resisting Satan. Verse 9, resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we need to resist Satan because uh, when we're afraid, when anxiety and suffering come, he's going to try to use that. He's going to try to bend that to our destruction. But, but how do you resist a lion? Well, unless you're King David, it's not with your bare hands. You need weapons of some sort. And since Satan's main tactic is to lie, our main weapon is the truth. And it's especially the truth of who God is. So, our text today gives us five truths to remember about God, five truths that reveal how worthy he is to be trusted even when everything is crazy, even when everything is wrong, even when we can't predict tomorrow or even the next minute or hour. Okay, so five things that First uh, Peter teaches us here. First, God's hand is mighty and his dominion is forever. So no, no matter how big uh, the monster under my four-year-old's bed was, God is bigger and God is sovereign over it. So when Noah used to wake up with nightmares about being eaten by giant crocodiles, uh, I would ask him, I'd say, Noah, who's the strongest? To which Noah responded, um, well, God's the strongest. Stronger than dad, yes. Stronger than 50-foot crocodiles, yes. All right, well, go to bed, and if you start dreaming again, uh, call on God, and he will come and destroy these scary animals. Now, that story may seem silly to some of us, but I, I think there's something we need to recognize and confess, that a lot of our fears are just as imaginary as a four-year-old's dreams, right? They're hypothetical situations, right? And some of us really struggle with this, like we are bent towards worst-case scenarios, we are hyper-prepared, 
And in our heads, we're always thinking of the 90 ways this next day could go wrong or this thing could go wrong. Now, sometimes, hey, you know what? We get one out of 100 right. (laughs) But that doesn't change the fact that most of the time, that's just imaginary dreams. Now, realize that imaginary what-if stuff is a ploy to distract you from God. Okay, so rather than wasting all of your energy, all of your mental life, all of your time thinking about the problem, going around the problem, wondering how things could go wrong, recognize when that's happening and stop and pray and say, God, come into this nightmare and change it. Now, some of our fears are real, but the same reality applies. God is stronger, and anxiety is designed to help you rely on God's strength rather than your own. Anxiety says you can't. I can't. God says I can. And so the answer to anxiety is not to try to deny the fact that it's out of our control and start pretending like we can do or are able to do things we can't. It's to let anxiety instruct us. It's to let fear instruct us and push us towards God who can Now, that may or may not be comforting to you that God is mighty, that God is strong, that God has sovereign control of all things, or it may not. I think that largely depends on if you're remembering the second truth. If you are God's child, God cares for you. God loves you like a father loves a child, only his love is perfect. And he exercises his power for your greatest possible good. Not according to your felt needs, not according to what you think you want, but according to what is best for your growth and faith. Now, if you believe that, it's still okay to sweat drops of blood as you consider the pain, but then you say, not my will, but your will, Father. I trust that your loving plan is best, even if it contains suffering and stress and things that I might not like. The answer to your fear of the future cannot come from being assured that nothing bad will ever happen again and everything's going to be okay. Humanly speaking, it's not, and we know that, right? We know that. We don't like to live with an awareness of that very often, but we all know if we think about it for two seconds that we're going to get older. We have so far. Uh, I'm 36 now, and I've never gone backwards one year. I would love to if I could, but right? It's never happened. So we're going to continue to age, and we're continue to change, and as we get older, some of those changes are going to be in a largely diminishing and an increasingly diminishing capacity, and eventually we will die. So we know these things. We know that life is going to have curveballs and trials and sufferings, but if you're a Christian, that's not bleak and scary. Death is the doorway to glory. Aging is the process to the doorway to glory. We don't have to fear it. But in this earth, the curse remains from dust you came to dust you will return. Peace from anxiety, lasting peace, won't come from denying obvious truths. Christ has not promised to protect your earthly treasure. He hasn't said he's undoing the curse. He never promised to protect your earthly treasure. He came to earth to be your treasure. And lasting peace will only come when your treasure changes. 
Some kinds of anxiety can be good. They're, they're like sirens blaring. You're hoping in the wrong things. You're hoping in the wrong things. What you value most, what you want most, what you need, or you, you can't live without it, are things that are impermanent and fragile and temporary. And you know it, which is why you're so stressed about keeping it, because tomorrow you might not have it. Anxiety can be just a blaring siren saying, you're not hoping in God, you're not hoping in Christ, you're not hoping in what he's providing, you're hoping in smaller things that are great gifts, but not God's, right? We should never feel guilty about any of the good things God has given us as gifts. We should thankfully, thankfully use them and enjoy them, but we should never exalt them and worship them. And a lot of our anxiety, it is. It's a blaring siren. You are worshiping something other than God. Love and hope in God, the one who loves you most and knows what you need and cares deeply, deeply, deeply for you. Is that enough of an answer? God loves you better than you can love yourself. So again, if, if you have kids, you, you, you know you've experienced what I'm about to say probably. Um, when my kids are young and I'm trying to help them learn something that they can't necessarily grasp, what I have to point to to them is who I am. Right? So I've had conversations with almost all of my kids at some point uh, where they're either doing something foolish or dangerous or hurtful to somebody else. And... Uh, like most people, where they want to go with that is, well, give me the full explanation of why, okay? Tell me all the reasons so that I can think through it and decide whether listening to that rule, listening to that command, not pushing my sister down the stairs is actually something that, right, I should agree with. Well, yeah, you can go that way, and, and it's fine, I think, as Christians to ask certain questions, but we need to realize those aren't the deepest answers, and so what I do with my kids is I ask them this question, does your dad love you? And my kids would say, yes. Okay. Does your dad want what's best for you? Yes. Okay. Well, then that's the answer. <laughs> dad would not be telling you what to do here, right, in a way that is harmful in the way that is unloving, even if you don't understand how it is loving and good, because he loves you, he cares. God cares for you and is in control of your life. That has all the explanatory power in the world. Because <laughs> you may not know why. Things happen in life that, that cause a lot of fear, that cause a lot of stress, and we're like, why? God, why? And he doesn't come down and give us a 10-point list of telling us, oh, well, actually, it's going to work out that way, and you're going to learn this lesson, and you're going to meet someone in five years and benefit them because you went through this experience, and you're going to make deeper friendships with these people because they're going to enter into your suffering and do good to you, and dot, 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 dot. He's not going to do that, most likely, but if we know his word and we know who our father is, we don't need that list because we know that what is happening is from his loving 
fatherly hand. God cares. God cares. Okay. Okay, third thing, third truth. You're never alone. God is always with you, and so are your brothers and sisters, and many of them have dealt with the same things you're dealing with. Well, pandemic, we're all dealing with that. Okay, if you can get over your pride and admit that you don't have it all together and let others come in to help you, it can help, it will help. If you think you're alone, it's a lie. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we make, right, when we're dealing with things like this, is we become isolated. And again, for those of you who have the escapist mechanism, right, to deal with things, that's probably especially true in your case. You don't want to talk about these things. You want to ignore them. Um, obviously, that doesn't work. You're not alone. Christian comfort is there to comfort you towards God and faithfulness. And so what you need to do is you need to find brothers and sisters who are willing to speak the truth of God to you to resolve your stress, to resolve your fear. What you do not need are a bunch of people who don't do that, that allow you to sulk in a way that is very unhelpful, unhealthy, and will not actually bring you to a better place, but will instead build a pattern and a habit in your life that when things go wrong, you just sit in it. I, I tell my guys sometimes in discipleship, you know, who, who are dealing with things like this, like fear, stress, depression, guilt, anxiety, it's like, okay, if you're walking down the street and you tripped and you fell in a puddle of mud face down, how long would you lay there? And none of them are like, well, I would just lay there for like, you know, two hours, three hours, six days, one month, because I just feel so good to lay in mud, right? Okay, well, would you stand up? Yeah, I'd stand up, I'd get out of the puddle. Okay, then would you just walk around muddy all day, right? No, I would go get clean, okay? But is it not true, right, that so many of us, that's exactly what we do with stuff like this. We trip and fall into a stress and anxiety, fear, or depression, whatever it is. And we think that what we should do is just sort of sit in there and remain dirty rather than go to the truths of God and be brought out of that. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? I've, I've noticed that tendency in me to just sit in mud. You know, it's so strange, isn't it? Isn't that strange that we do that? Why do we do that? I've had a lot of years to think about it, and I know at least one of the answers, one of the reasons, is because it's easier. It's just, it's easier to be miserable. It's easier to stay in fear. It's easier just to believe just all the lies that are spinning around in your head. It's just so much easier, right? It's not better, though. And so what I need, I need, is Christian brothers and sisters who will not let me get away with that and will come and remind me of the things that maybe in the moment I'm just not that interested in remembering for myself. Don't believe you're alone and don't choose to be alone. Don't hide. Uh, get with your brothers and sisters when things like this go on. Okay, fourth truth. God is supremely gracious Sometimes we're anxious because of sin and its earthly consequences, right? Some of you have committed big sins, and some of your sins have had big consequences, affected you, affected family. But that's why it's so important to remember God is always ready to forgive in Jesus. So even if the mistake ruins your life or sets your family back, you can draw near to your Father's mighty hand for comfort. 
Anxiety over sin is designed to help us dive deeper into the generous grace of God. Okay, fifth truth to remember. God is going to exalt, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you at the right time. God knows, okay, God knows the right time for trials to start and end. We, we don't. He knows, God knows, immediate deliverance is not always what we need. Therefore, we should not be so hyper-vigilant hoping we can stop the next trial before it starts. As long as we're riding this blue planet right around the sun, trials are going to come. But we don't need to waste our good days worrying about forthcoming bad days. They're going to come. But here's the key. Don't resist fear. Let it do its job. Accept the uncertainty and temporariness of this life and the uncertainty and temporariness of earthly treasure and realize the fear of loss is designed to cement your focus on the permanent. If you're in Christ, you can say, so what if I lose everything? God is going to exalt, restore, and establish me at the right time. And now, evidently, since I'm still here, is not the right time. Stop trying to keep what you know you're going to lose because it causes you anxiety and you'll get a better version of it in heaven, which you will never lose. Realize that in Christ, this entire planet and everything on it already belongs to you. You just have to wait for it. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is our hope. Our hope has nothing to do with this world. We are exiles and sojourners here. We're passing through, okay? This is our hope, that there's coming a day where we will live for an eternal amount of ages, okay? An infinite amount of time. And what Ephesians tells us, that eternity is not enough time to count the riches of grace and kindness that God will show to us, right? So, like, if eternity is not enough time to count all the blessings that our Father is going to shower on us, His children, if eternity is not enough time to count those blessings, how vast must they be? Marvel, <laughs> spend the next part of 2020. Well, there's not much left, is there? Spend the next part of 2020 not being consumed by pandemics and elections, but by celebrating the gospel, by celebrating the truth of who God is, by marveling at the fact that we can smile through things like this because we know where the journey ends. It doesn't end in 2020, right? It ends in the arms of our Father who is mighty, loves us, 
and cannot fail. So in the end, it's worth repeating, if you have anxiety or fear or stress, that alone is not a problem as long as you are humbling yourself before your God, casting those things on him. And why can we do that? We can do that because God is God. He is mighty. He is powerful enough to help. He cares for us more than we care for ourselves. He's with us. And he saved other brothers and sisters who are with us too. He is gracious. In Christ, not even our sin can come between him and us. He has promised to exalt us at the right time. And he's wise enough to know when that time is. These five truths of God can help us slay that liar, Satan, who tries to destroy us with stress and fear. Resist Satan. Stay firm in your faith. Let anxiety be used by God for good. It can be used to drive you closer to him. Brothers and sisters, when anxiety comes, remember God. Don't forget him. Remember God, don't just see anxiety as an annoyance. See it as an opportunity to pray and to grow in knowing and trusting God. Let it drive you to these five characteristics. And that will lead you to perfect patience as you wait on him. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. And that never changes. You are immutable, you are sure, you are steady, you are who you are, and regardless of the things that change or don't change or shift around or whatever 2021 is like or isn't like, you never change, and the promise never changed, our hope never changes, but God, what changes is our focus. What changes is our awareness, what changes is our trust, and as that fluctuates, we can ride this roller coaster of fear and stress. And so, God, I thank you that no matter how we've been dealing with things or what we're dealing with, I thank you that you call us, God, to cast, that you remind us that you love us so deeply in Christ. So, Father, I pray for all of us, uh, whether we're going through things now or will in a week or a month or a year, God, that we would just remember your word. And that next time we need to remember that we would go to 1 Peter 5 and reread these things and remind ourselves of you and that that would bring sweet joy as we cast everything on you. Amen.